there and welcome to episode 48 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. Hello. So now that we've all gone through the trouble of repressing the memory of last season, burying it deep down in our souls, pushing it into the deep recesses of our mind, we now find ourselves stumbling about the bleak wasteland that is the pre-season, where the tumbleweed is frequent and we all long for a slurp of fresh H2O from the transfer market. But let's be fair, it's been a quiet few days since Albion packed up shop and seemingly went to Dubai punctuated with a couple of moments that possibly qualify as season highlights for some of us. But before we get to talking about that and talking about how we're going to navigate all the high-octane wilderness wandering, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. We do love you and we appreciate your support. All we ask is that you share the podcast with your friends and family, tell everyone you love and care about, and even the people you do not care about or do not love, the people you dislike, tell them about the podcast as an olive branch, an offering of peace, If you're feeling very, very generous, we'd love you to leave a review. You can go on to whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on right now, and you can tap five stars. And that not only makes us feel very, very good about ourselves, it also helps the podcast climb its way up the rankings so that other people can find it and enjoy it too. Remember, it's precious what we have here at the Debate Club, but the greater gift is to share it. So... We've got a few stories to talk about today. Like I say, expect a little bit of a fast approach to the podcast today. And throughout the pre-season, perhaps we do a little bit of housekeeping up front, boys, and tell the dear listeners what the, the schedule for the debate club will look like going forward. Guys, what, what, what are we going to do, do you think? I think bi-weekly. Bi- is that mean twice a week? We're actually upping our output. <laughs> no, it's, no, I mean, bi-monthly, I mean. Bi-monthly, okay. Does that mean once every two months? I think it's once every, it's every two weeks, isn't it? Once every partial lunar cycle, we will be releasing a podcast. So look to the skies, and when you see a gibbous moon, realise that the podcast is very, very shortly. Is gibbous moon a thing? It is now. Google it. If it's not on Google, it's because Google's wrong. It's a thing. But when you see the the moon waning or waxing in the sky, you'll know that the Hawthorns Debate Club is due imminently. Basically, the long and short of it is, is while the news is pretty limited and there's not much going on in the world of West Bromwich Albion, we'll probably ease up on produce the podcast, probably go to, as Joe's described, once every two weeks, just until things pick up a little bit in the pre-season. Obviously, it gives us a little bit of time to recharge our batteries as well. There doesn't seem, I'm not sure, maybe people can feed back to us on this one. Doesn't seem to be that, that much hunger out there at the moment for Albion content. I do think this season's left a little bit of an apathetic taste in some people's mouths. We've noticed that with our listens, at least, that people seem to be genuinely wanting to put last year to bed. Um, so we're definitely open to the discussion. 
but at least for the next month or so, I imagine that we'll probably move to that bi-weekly, bi-monthly, once every full moon schedule, once every two weeks. If that's oh. good with you. <laughs> so what have we got to talk about then today? Let me get up our notes. Okay, I think a great place to start is with something that I said, book the trend of so much of this season, which was to actually provide a little bit of excitement for us. The under 23s, as we alluded to in previous episodes, have been on a bit of a cup run and they found their way to the final and so many people went to see it. What was the, the attendance? It was like eight or 9,000, was it? Just under 8,000. Just under 8,000, with Walls bringing a few thousand as well, weren't there? The, the, their half the Smethwick end was, was packed and the East End was packed. And to be fair, the under 23s put on a show for the crowds. It was full of passion, aggression, determination. It was full of so many of those characteristics that we've been begging for all season with the senior team. And then you've got these teenage lads just exuding it on the pitch and really just giving Albion fans something to actually cheer about this season. It finished one all in 90 minutes. There was then another goal scored by each team, which meant that extra time finished at two all and it went to kind of a very, very dramatic penalty shootout. What were you guys thinking when it went to penalty shootout? Be honest, did you think we were just going to lose? Yeah, I thought we were going to lose. Well, recent years, we've never seen us win a penalty shootout, have we? In the last one, obviously, it was Villa, wasn't it? We lost. So it was haunting to see our, our players up there, but they handled it well. Al, were you feeling optimistic or pessimistic when they started taking those penalties? I was nervous. It was something a bit different, the game, though. How good was that game? Uh, like, I couldn't believe how good it was. And then for it to end on a, a penalty shootout was just like the icing on the cake, the cherry on the top, perhaps. Might be more happens. A sprinkling of sugar. And uh, it's Ethan Ingram who gets the winning penalty. And then the scenes, the whole place explodes. There's a pitch invasion. But before we get to the pitch invasion and all the excitement that was surrounding the festivities of how well these young lads have done, what stood out to you in this game? Because I think we all watched it and we all enjoyed it. Was there any individuals that stood out? What particular things did you enjoy about the under-23's performance? I think Caleb Taylor. Yes, the giant. I thought he commanded the defence very well and showed his ability and looking like he could be the next one to step out of the under-23s and go into the first team. Obviously, we saw him in the last game, but I just think got something about him. I don't know what it is. It may be his height, but he seems authoritative. You know, he's got the authority and he's captain material, I I would say. It's because he can see over the Halfers Lane stand if he wants to. That's true. That is true. So he can put his hand of God down and just yeah, pick yeah. up people. Yeah. yeah. No, um, I think they all played well, but I think he stood out to me. And Ted Ted Khan, is it? Ted Khan. <laughs> Not Ted Khan. Ted Khan. Yeah, he played well, made some great saves. We were the underdogs for the game as well, weren't we? Wolves Wart, the league, the little league what we were in. I think, yeah, they all played well, but the defence and goalkeeper were the, the main standouts for me. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I thought Caleb Taylor was incredible. A mountain of a man. I thought he was really, really impressive. Look forward to seeing more of him in the future. But, you know, I just got to take my hats off to every single one of them because I thought the team spirit and the, the togetherness and the battle mindset 
was like 100%. Couldn't fault any of them, really. I thought they were all, all played amazing. I thought Kevin Castro, you know, that bit of flair, love it. Ingram, right back, solid. You've got on the other side, Ashworth, who again, you know, solid player. And then you've got like Mo Fowl up front, deadly. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with what you all of that you've just said. I think what stood out to me was what you've spoken about there, Alex, the mindset, this real determination. I mean, you know, when you talk about a cup final mentality, this day really did embody that cup final mentality. There was aggression in every challenge. There was this real hunger and desire. Although I think Wolves probably in terms of quality did have the better chances. I think technically speaking, they probably got better players. Albion fans all season been begging to see heart in their players to see players that really care and are willing to give their all for the shirt and these young lads just were throwing themselves into challenges I mean the amount of them that went down with cramp in extra time and it, and it wasn't cramp where they're just playing for time or a bit you could see these guys were just it was every part of their muscle sinew and bone they would point everything on the line to get the result and I think the players that stood out for me I think Caleb Taylor although I wasn't actually overly impressed with him when he played against Barnsley I can see why he's on the fringes of the first team from his performance in the under 23s what a weapon he is from set pieces as well. I know he had the chance against Barnsley as well, but he gets his head on everything. I mean, obviously he's an advantage by being a relative of Hagrid, but I can really see why like the coaching staff of the senior side would be excited about having him in and around the senior team because obviously as good as he is, as a defender and as much as I guess his game can improve in that sense, what a weapon he would be on set pieces in the championship in the next couple of years, if you can kind of capitalize on his height. The other player that everyone I've spoken about loads of times on the podcast is my file. He looks electric to me. Every time he gets the ball, I'm, I'm expecting something to happen. His hold up play is brilliant. The deft little touches, the way he receives the ball, the way he moves the ball back into midfield. He's fast. He's strong. His finish for the second goal, I mean, the stretch, the technique, it's all, all of it's done off balance. And to still to get your foot to it, wrap it around with the defender on your back and took it in the far post from a flick on, on a throw-in. There's so much talent there. And I, I really hope that it's caused some of the coaching staff to sit up and take notice. I'm not under the delusion that these players are all now ready for the senior squad because they've won a trophy against Wolves under 23s. But it's certainly exciting to see that there is some talent there. Maybe they're four and five years off being ready for the senior squad. Who knows? But ultimately, they may be less than League Two level at the moment, some of them, and that's fine. But it's nice to know that there is a little bit of magic swirling about in the club somewhere in the dungeons that the under-23 is lurking. Did under-23 is lurking dungeons? That sounds a bit ominous, actually. I'm not sure I'm too comfortable with that. And then a big shout out, as you've rightly pointed out, Alex, to the fans. So many people turning out in their droves to come and cheer the under-23s on. Unfortunately, all of us were busy living the A-tier list celebrity podcast lifestyles that we all have to live. Actually, I think it is well worth mentioning. This won't be shocking or surprising to our listeners, but we are actually the 78th highest rated soccer podcast in Uganda. We really do have a high profile. And obviously it's that that level of celebrity that caused us to be busy on Friday. So we couldn't go, none of us. But loads of other people did. And it was kicking off all the videos on social media, people going absolutely bonkers, followed 
by a pitch invasion, which felt good. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a pitch invasion. <laughs> I know all the, the players, once they won, they went straight over to the East Stand, didn't they? Started going on the hoardings and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't expecting everybody to come on, to be honest. It was quite, it was quite hilarious, to be fair. It was charming, though. Zach Ashworth, like, hulking up like Maximus in the Coliseum on the, on the advertising hoardings. It was pretty special, to be fair. My favourite part of it was Tim Spires, the athletic Wolves reporter, at the start of the game, put looking like a tweet around how good the Wolves fans were turning up to it. Obviously, they sold out and they did well. They bought 2,000. But then afterwards, he was like embarrassing pitch invasion for West Brom when they've won the under 23s Premier League Cup mm-hmm. and everyone was giving it him. Yeah, I mean, if we could bottle that atmosphere and then use it every week at the Hawthorns, what an incredible place it would be. Just credit to the players for putting people in that fever. You know, it's incredible. And I, I just thought with the the atmosphere being so electric, pitch invasion, I mean, it was the first time we'd won the Premier League Cup. I mean, that trophy's no joke. You know, there's 32 teams to start off with. All of the big teams are included. And it's a Champions League-style competition, you know, where there's a qualifying for some of the lower-tier teams. And then there's group stages followed by a knockout stage. So it's it's no joke. You know, it's, they've done incredibly well to lift that trophy. So it's just just brilliant lot highlight of the season without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's got to be up there, hasn't it, really? I mean, in a season where there's very few highlights, this really it ticks all of the things that a highlight should tick shouldn't it and I think it answers the question that you know there was a lot of consternation about the atmosphere at the Hawthorns this year it was toxic every game I was there there would be just this general malaise of discontent and there would be very quiet there'd be pockets the last game of the season I have to say was a really good atmosphere but for the vast majority of the season it was poison in the air like and I think this game the under 23s finals answered the question a little bit like what happens on the pitch that determines the atmosphere because the fans responded to the under 23s the spirit the battle the willingness to go the extra mile everyone was lapping it up and I think that for me it proves like when players are saying all the fans need to get behind us actually what happens on the pitch will by and large be the conductor to the orchestra in the crowd so well done to the under-23s. It really was so cool to watch all of their celebrations, the champagne and the cup. It was just great. What a wonderful day. And congratulations to every single... We've named some names there and we're just talking off camera that there are so many other players that have impressed us. And ultimately, that they all deserve huge, huge plaudits for what they've achieved, really. Because as you said, Joe, at the start, they were massive underdogs against Wolves really just done the club so proud so congratulations to all the players all of the coaching staff that are involved with the under 23s you really have given us something to cheer about in what has been an absolutely miserable season right let's move on to some of the news that's emerged over the last few days since we last gathered together around the fireplace the hearth at the debate club biggest news this week i guess is that semi ajayi has signed a new contract He'll be with us now to 2025. Player that comes under a fair amount of stick, Semi Ajayi. Especially where I sit in the Woodman corner, there's a few people that are really vocal about his performances and really kind of anti whenever he's included in the squad. He's a player I like an awful lot, though. Semi Ajayi is, I think... One of the things that we all know about him is that he's got the old mistake in his locker trait. But the one thing about him that I think is really 
more valuable than virtually everything and far outweighs his potential for mistakes is that frightening pace he's got. What do you guys make of Semi Ajayi now seemingly being a centerpiece to this rebuild for the future? I think it's good, to be fair, because he's been at the Albion for, it's going to be coming into his fourth season. And he's experienced, he's experienced in the championship. He's had one season in the premiership, so why not? He'd have to pay quite a lot of money for someone of his experience and his athleticism, if I can say it right. But yeah, I'm happy with that. I think our centre-backs will be changing through the year anyway because of the long season and the cups and everything. So I think it's good to have someone like him who, if he is on the bench, he can come on and have that pace. Yeah, equally I like him. I thought it was quite interesting that Bruce said that he's arguably been Albion's best player since he's joined. So Bruce obviously rates him very highly. I think he'd make a good partnership with Dario Shea. They'll work quite well together. Maybe add Kyle Bartley in the mix uh, as part of a back three. I think he's a solid player. Needs to work on his footwork a bit. Maybe work on his concentration and his technical ability. But I think, like you say, he's got the build to be a top player, especially in the championship. I think, the, like I've said already, it's those moments in the, where your heart's in your mouth, where he kind of plays the ball too short back to a keeper or he steps over the ball and into trouble. And there's a few different times in the game where Semi Ajayi will have you like racked with nerves. But there are other times when you have these pacey centre forwards that normally breeze by centre backs in the championship and cause all kinds of problems. And I have never seen one of them get to the ball ahead of Semi Ajayi. He's, I would argue that I, he's probably faster than every forward in the championship currently. I, I can't see one outstripping him. He just puts on the turbos and he's... He's obviously a tall lad as well, and those long legs just stretch out like a gazelle, and he covers the ground, and he's there before everyone. The other aspect of his game that I feel like we've only caught glimpses of this season is this overlapping centre-back role, the old Chris Wilder tactic, allowing the centre-backs to drift forward, creating the overloads in midfield, or as we've seen with Semi Ajayi on the wing. The amount of chances he's generated from what can only be described as just Perlo-esque crosses into the box, real dangerous whipped balls into the box and genuinely carving out some of the best opportunities. He obviously got moved into midfield, progressed the ball against Barnsley and played Carlin Grant in with just a really well-measured pass. I think there's a, a whole potential game plan that could be unlocked at Albion through Semi Ajayi. And we, we saw bits of it this season, but I think next season he could be a hugely, hugely significant part of the game plan for most weeks. Yeah, and he's got a goal in him as well, hasn't he? We saw it Rotherham, he was banging him in. Yeah. And I think if people forget about I know he hasn't played well in CDM for us, but he can also, if we've got injuries, he can also play there as well. So he's a bit of a utility player, I suppose. Managers do love players that can play in multiple positions. Someone smart and intelligent would say that right there. So Semi Ajayi sticking at the club. I think the thing I like about Semi Ajayi as well, he just comes across really well. Just one of the nice guys. Perhaps we don't need many nice guys at Albion, but when you think about the dressing room and there's a lot of discussion about bad eggs and poor working habits and whatnot, Semi Ajayi always seems to me, and I know nothing, and this is just purely on perception, to be one of the good guys. So it's, it's nice to have him with us. 
I like how he said Albion's his home now, so I think that's kind of nice as well. For me, when he signed for the Albion, I thought this is a guy in a season or two, he's going to be picked up by the Premiership teams because he's got that pace. He hasn't got the footwork, but you can teach that. And I'm surprised they still haven't come into him because that is what you need in the Premiership over the top. And he's he's so rapid. But yeah, go on, Alex. I think you've got different types of centre-backs. You've got that leader, like John Terry or Rio Ferdinand or you know Virgil van Dijk, but then you've also got their partner. And I think he's like the, the foil to the partner. He's, he's not as commanding. I don't think he's much of a leader, but I think he's got the, all the attributes to sort of make up for the leader's weaknesses. <laughs> he's the Robin to Dara O'Shea's Batman. Yeah, that's what, yeah, precisely. That's some fan art if I've ever seen it, you know what I mean? That needs to be popping up on Instagram. Dara Shea and Semi Ajayi as the crime-fighting duo. Anyway, moving on Digging to some rumours, potential exits from the centre-back department. Kipre rumoured to go to Rangers for one million. I think we've spoken about Kipre a fair amount on this podcast. I think we all like him. He's not obviously the complete package, but whenever he's played for Albion, I've been really really impressed by whatever he's brought and he just seems to I've never really got a long run in the side and every manager that comes in seems to not rate him at all I mean he keeps seemingly being the one that will very often be the full guy or the one that drops out of the squad yeah, he, he does look good, but maybe he's playing to the, to the top of his game, so he's not going to get any better. And it does make sense, like a team like Rangers, that he moves there and probably progresses his career through a team like that, where it's not as tough as a league. And I think that'll be better for him as a player. I think he's not getting utilised at the Albion. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a strange one with Kipre. I quite like to see him have more game time, but it just doesn't seem to suit any of the managers that we have. Maybe not quite good enough. I'd be sorry to see him go, but it looks like it's, um, even if it's not to Rangers, it looks like a bit of a foregone conclusion that Cedric Kipre is very much not in the plans of seemingly anyone at all at the club. So I think he was a Luke Dowling silent, if I remember. So he came into the club not really being part of the manager's plans, even initially. He's never really found himself in any manager's blueprint going on from there. So I do feel sorry for the blokes. I feel like he's almost had his career pushed pause on for like the best part of three seasons now but obviously um this looks like there's a potential way out from here other transfer rumors there's still the rumors circulating around john swift scott twine is another one that's doing the rumors all of the same old names that we've been talking about for the last few weeks are still out there jed wallace rothwell the other blackburn lad and a few other characters like that there's also been some rumors about bruce raiding his former club. Al, what's the news on this one? So I thought it was quite strange because magpies are renowned for stealing things from humans rather than (laughs) the other way around. Is this Alex's Nature Watch corner? Yeah, ornithology. I'll throw that word out there. Bill (laughs) Oddy. No, I'm no Bill (laughs) Oddy. But um, yeah, so apparently, I, I think a lot of this is on on the rumor rumor mill. I'm not sure how there's any hard evidence for this. I think it's all quite quite easy reporting, to be honest with you, easy clicks. But we've been linked with raiding the Magpies, and the players that have been linked are Darlow, Hendrick, Jamal Lewis, Dwight Gale, Kieran Clark, and and Matt Ritchie. You know, all of them, 
quite good championship players, I would say. I don't think it's a bad strategy, you know, to use those players to get promoted and then perhaps look to invest in new players once, you know, we get promoted, which seems very harsh. But yeah, I mean, I'd take all of them players, to be honest with you. I think they're all solid. I think the ones that stand out for me is definitely Jamal Lewis uh, in the middle. I'm not blown away by any of those names at all, really. I think obviously I'm thinking about them in the context of the premiership. And for me, they're very benign. Again, that word vanilla, slightly worse than average, low expectation kind of players. Whether them in the championship is a bit of a, a game changer for them, and which I imagine it probably would be if they're premiership caliber players. I also concerned about the age of a lot of them. They seem to be at the other end of their career. Yeah, I was just thinking that, Jamie. Like, it, I regretted what what I just said that I'd taken because we'd be acting as a bit of a Newcastle graveyard, I think, wouldn't we? An elephant graveyard for magpies. But Jamal Lewis is left back. He's the one from, uh, he's only 24. He's the one from Norwich. They bought him in 2020. Yeah, he's the one that stands out as the only one that kind of books that pattern of geriatric, below average premiership players. But the rest of them, I just, if people are getting excited about them, I just, I don't know. It's not doing anything for me. Yeah, but you say that, but the players we've got in the team are not exciting anyway. So we can't, beggars can't be choosing if we get them for cheap and they help us the team and become part of that the dressing room and they're good characters like Matt Ritchie he's been playing quite a lot of games for Newcastle this season and uh, I don't think Bruce played in that much which makes no sense some of these players Bruce didn't play he didn't play Gale you know like why would he sign them for the uh, for the Albion this is what I don't understand I mean, I think Alex is right when it t- you talk about the kind of clickbaity nature and the like journalism on easy mode, just kind of dragging up the Newcastle squad and Bruce's links to it, and then just kind of random name generator almost it with the Albion. But if you think about it, like, I'm just looking at a couple of these ages, Matt Ritchie's 32, Dwight Gale's in his 30s, Jeff Hendrick is, pause while I find out, 30 they're going to be on premiership wages coming down. What's the maximum they're going to sign? 18-month contracts at the Albion, two-year contracts at the Albion. They're well into their 30s by that point, the vast majority of them. And I'm like, well, are we looking to refresh the squad or are we looking to temporarily bolster it for that one final short-term push? With Steve Bruce at the helm, Captain Bruce, I'm concerned that it's probably short-term bolster the, the squad for one final push. I think it's a bit of a snake in the grass. I think it can be, it's quite an easy option to get those players because they're premiership names. But this goes against everything that I was suggesting would be a good approach to redeveloping the squad. So in terms of exploring European leagues, looking at lower leagues and trying to get players that are making a career rather than ones that have already like played the majority of their career and now they're just settling down towards retirement. Yeah, I think this one could be a bit of a, a risk, really. If we do go down that route, I'd be very disappointed. Couldn't agree more, Alex. Alex, if we were in an auditorium right now, I would have started applauding and then as the, the, the applause swelled and crescendoed, I'd have stood up. And it would have been a roaring standing ovation because I couldn't agree more with you. It's not the direction I believe the club should be heading in at all. Let's move on to something that briefly came up last week. Alex, you briefly alluded to Ron Gawley. 
and his message to supporters about the season and this real desire in the boardroom to improve. He didn't really speak too much about it last season, but I know you were last week, but I know you were impressed by the kind of tone of it. And obviously they're trying to make significant changes. We briefly, briefly, briefly spoke about the fan zone returning. I know that was quite popular when it was there. And also, obviously, the kids for a quid season ticket prices are the club offering a hand to fans to try and curry favour and win back over a little bit of support because the obviously the boardroom is very, very unpopular at the moment. Anything you really want to pull out of his message? Yeah, I just think we can't always criticise. You know, I think sometimes you have got to praise uh, the decisions that they're making. And, you know, I think it was very good of them to come out uh, publicly and put their hands up and say, look, we know it's been unacceptable, but here's an olive branch. We are aiming to be better and here's how we're going to do it. And, you know, I think it's, it's the right messages. You know, it's there is a real good feel factor around the club, particularly after the uh, under-23s victory last week. And I, I just think that, you know, they are turning it around. You know, Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it's you know, they've started en route to get better, which, you know, you've, you've got to say that sounds really good and I hope they can follow it through. Greg's will be getting more customers now, won't it? I did wonder how it would the impact it would be on Greg's. And I don't know why that's the first thing that occurred to me, but yeah, definitely I wondered what, like, the, um, do they have to pay Greg's? Is it Greg's car park? What's the deal there? Oh, will they have enough state bakes? Well, this is the hard-hitting questions that people tune in to hear asked. Like, imagine, like, if we were in a press conference and Joe Massey throws his conversation in, Steve Maidley's got his question in about the transfer market, and we ask Ron Gawley about the level of sausage rolls in Greg's. Will it be sufficient for the demands of the fan zone? Yeah, I think we're, we're clearly the ones that are hunting for the truth. Cool. And obviously, we're recording this off the back of the news uh, that broke yesterday that Jake Daniels has come out as the first openly gay player playing in England presently in the league. He's a young lad who plays for the Blackpool Academy. Obviously, the response to him coming out has been incredibly supportive. He said that his colleagues in the dressing room and fans have been nothing but encouraging. Obviously, it's hit the press and a lot of people are really wanting to just kind of support this young man and his decision and the bravery it takes to be the face of this conversation at the very minimum. But I think the shocking thing is obviously when you hear that statistic that this is the first openly gay footballer in the league at the moment, that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it is crazy, but it's the it's the culture. Yeah, yeah. It's the culture of football, isn't it? And it's the fans as well because they can be horrible, can't they? Yeah. Definitely. And that's scary for people. Well, there's, the, I mean, how many stadiums have it up on their screens that as part of the kind of kick it out sentiment, homophobic abuse won't be tolerated. And yet the language that you hear sometimes in grounds, it's not an atmosphere that you, I guess as a gay man, he, you would feel confident or secure in coming out. And then obviously couple that with the dressing room. And as you said, the culture of football in general this young lad has really kind of um, put himself on the map absolutely and I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit like it's very brave of him uh, for such a young lad I think he's 17 to come out with such maturity and it's very brave of him and I, I wish him all the best and I think he deserves all the support that he's getting 
I hope everybody um, appreciates the difficulty it's taken for him to to come out like that. And it's not right, really. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have taken this long for, and there shouldn't be this much pressure for him to come out, really. That kind of lands all of the news that's circulating around the world of football and West Bromwich Albion right now. Anything burning in your hearts, boys, that you want to say right now? Nope. Nope. The world is silent for these two. Well, that's it. Bit of a speed run episode. That's all good. I'm quite happy with that. A bit chuffed. Thank you for tuning in this week. All that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to Alex. Cheers. A huge thank you to Joe. Cheers. Thank you for listening this week, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Sweet dreams.